With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Sixers report with your host Jeff McMiniman and Michael Caskey Blomain. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 76ers report. Like the intro said, I'm Michael Caskey Blomain. Uh, are you my usual co-host? Jeff McMiniman is currently overseas, enjoying a nice vacation in Ireland. Uh, so he will not be on the episode today. I think we can uh, we can forgive him for uh, for not being able to hop on today he's uh you know certainly enjoying his time over there so we'll talk to Jeff uh next episode but fear not we have a uh, a trusted guest of the show and uh <clears throat> one of my personal personal mentors in uh in the industry here Carrie Smith of uh, philadelphia.com has joined us today Carrie how are you doing man I'm doing great Mike how about yourself man I'm happy to be here and uh looking forward to talking some pictures with you I'm doing pretty well, man. Pretty well. Just uh, trying to enjoy summer while it lasts. Uh, how about yourself? How's your summer been going, man? Uh, fantastic. I can't complain at all. Uh, I got to watch a lot of summer league ball, and now we got you know the Olympics coming up. Team USA looking good. So uh, it's nice to have some actual real basketball to fill the time between now and training camp. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a uh, been a little slow in in the basketball world since since the finals wrapped, but. Um, you know, there's definitely uh, no shortage of topics regarding our uh, our Sixers to uh, to kind of get into today. So uh, I guess uh, to start off, the first thing, since uh, you know you and I haven't haven't really talked and we haven't had a uh, 76ers report here since summer league in Vegas wrapped up. So uh, you know, let's kick it off. Let's get uh, what what were your impressions and your your main takeaways from uh, you know the, the Sixers summer league performance and of course uh, you know Ben Simmons in particular. What uh what did you leave your summer league viewing with feeling about the team and Simmons? I mean, I, specifically Simmons, I left feeling very, very, very good about. Uh, he is, you know, there are people who are questioning whether he was the, going to be the number one pick and whether he should be the number one pick. And the NBA people he talked to said that they were divided about 70-30 in front of Simmons. Well, after watching him in summer league, I don't know who those 30 percenters are, but I that they need to have their minds checked because he was far and away the best 
rookie in, in, in out there in terms of all overall game. Um, obviously, you know, some of us would like to see him score the ball a little bit more, but I, I was just thoroughly impressed with his athleticism, his size, his passing ability, his court vision. Uh, you know, I was really, really taken back. And, you know, he was playing with not the greatest teammates in the world in terms of talent level. So I'll be interested, very interested to see what he can do when he's, when he's running with real NBA players. Yeah, it's, what stuck out to me, you kind of mentioned it, was like his poise and maturity on the court. Like he – and his, the way he affects the game, it just didn't come off like a rookie. Like you said, you know, that there was people – and, you know, even I, I can't say that I wasn't guilty, uh, you know, during throughout the college season last year giving some, you know, some thought to, to Brandon Ingram as the top pick. Um, but, yeah, it's just not often you see a rookie come out and play with, uh, you know, the level of control and poise and maturity that Simmons showed from really the first game of Summer League right away. He just kind of – he has, like, a feel for the game and can kind of control the court in, you know, a way that's reminiscent of, you know, veterans. And for a kid that's 19, I think, uh, like you said, obviously there's areas that he needs improvement on. But just his ability to impact the game – from so many different aspects of it. Like he doesn't seem like he needs to necessarily score 30 to help the Sixers win with his ability to do other things. So I think, uh, you know, it was definitely very promising, uh, you know, what we were able to see from him uh, out there. Was there anything that, uh, you know, you were surprised by from him? You know, you obviously we all had expectations for him coming in. Was there anything that, he even maybe did better than you had thought he would at this early stage? I mean, I think – I don't know if necessarily would say that he did better, but I found him more entertaining than I ever imagined he would be. I saw a fair number of his games at LSU, um, and he had some flair to his game, but he was very exciting to watch, very entertaining to watch each time he took the court in the summer league. You know, he had a little bit of Magic Johnson sprinkled with some – you know, N1 mixtape features that I did not expect to see from him at this early stage. You know, you were talking about his poise. He seems very confident in his abilities and what he's doing. And I think a lot of that comes from having basically been a professional basketball player for the last three years down in Australia. And then, you know, this year at LSU where he was, you know, basically a gym rat, you know, there are some stories that he never went to class or rarely went to class down there. So, I mean, he's basically been a professional basketball player for the last four years, and I think you really saw that at Summer League. And, again, the inter- that built confidence in his game and allowed him to show a little personality, and I found it highly entertaining. I, I just did not expect that from him at Summer League of his rookie year. Yeah, man, you, you nailed it. To me, he, he's already – he's one of those guys that you, can't, you don't want to take your eyes off because you think you're going to miss something crazy, you know, like any play that he has the ball, you think, oh, like he could, you know, it's going to be a crazy pass or a nice drive or a dunk or something. He's like already in summer league, like, you know, I'm sitting in my living room and a commercial comes up and I walk to the kitchen and then I hear the game come back on and I, I like hustle back because I don't want to miss a chance to see him do something crazy in summer league, which is, you know, obviously that's awesome for Sixers fans who have been, you know, just thirsting for a superstar since, uh, you know, the day Iverson was shipped to Denver. And, it, you know, he, he really just seems to have that superstar quality, that, that it factor. You know, I don't necessarily 
love that expression. But with Simmons, I feel like you can, you can just see it. Like you said, he's basically been preparing to be what he is now for three, four years through LSU and, and his time in high school in the, in the country was basically all preparation for him to be not only a professional player, but basically, you know, the top pick in, in the draft in his class and a guy that a pro team could basically build around, which, uh, you know, the Sixers will do. So I think, you know, like we said, there's obviously he's not far from a perfect player at 20 years old that uh, he just turned. But, you know, I think there was way more positives than anything uh, negative to take away from his summer league performance. And personally, I just it was not that there was any doubt, uh, I think, in the mind, but it was just reassuring that, you know, the the correct decision was made in the draft. Like you said, there was, you know, a little bit of debate, you know, earlier uh, in, in the draft process, but I think once a couple of summer league games were under his belt, it was it was obvious that, you know, he was something special and something that the team would be able to build on. No, I agree. I think you, I'm almost worried about my expectations are now too high after seeing him in summer league because he was better than I thought he would be. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, he went to Mount, Mount Verde Academy in Florida, and that is a professional basketball high school. You only go there to play basketball. You're not going there to get an academic scholarship. Then he goes on to LSU. Previous to that, he was in Australia playing. He didn't, you know, you hear all this criticism. He didn't take LSU to to the NCAA tournament. He didn't grow up dreaming of playing in the, the national championship game. He grew up dreaming of playing in the NBA, and that's what he wants to do is be a star in the league. And he's done all the legwork, and now he's here. It's just a question of can he match the expectations that people like you and I are putting on him? Because I tell you, after seeing him in the summer league, my expectations are now much higher than they were right after the draft, say. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. He's already getting expectations heaved, uh, piled up on him. There was, you know, a, a league-wide discussion. Obviously, summertime, there's not not a whole bunch of topics. So it was, you know, they were comparing uh, if he ended up being a, a similar to Draymond Green, would that be, you know, people are saying, would that be a, a failure considering the expectations? And obviously there's the comparisons to LeBron, there's the comparisons to Magic Johnson. Uh, so, you know, you nailed it right there. I think by pointing that out that we hopefully can't, not, I don't think it'll affect him as much as maybe the perception of him, uh, you know, we just hope that these expectations don't, you know, kind of shift the narrative or, or the reality of what he is because he's obviously still, you know, a 20-year-old rookie that's entering his first season in the NBA in a franchise that's in a, you know, obviously we seem to be trending up right now, but uh, it's still at, at the bottom of, of the mountaintop. So he's, uh, you know, he's going to take his lumps like every other player does. I think I just kind of hope that people realize that and don't necessarily expect him to, you know, be – a year seven LeBron James in his rookie year because, uh, you know, you said the expectations in that situation I think are just too high. Um, speaking of expectations, though, I personally, I tweeted this out uh, last week sometime uh, after re-watching a little bit of his, uh, his summer league performance. Uh, I'd like to get your opinion on this. I think just based on the way he plays from what I saw in summer league and, like, his instincts for the game, I honestly think that he could average not – not there, but very close to a triple-double in, you know, not, like I said, not his rookie year, but a few years into the league, I'm t- you know, year three, year four, I think we could be talking about a kid that's averaging 18, nine, and nine a game uh, easily, uh, almost, pretty easily. What are, you, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think I'm being a little bit too, too hype on him, or do you think that's a realistic expectation? 
I think it's a real expectation if they surround him with better players. I mean, I watched Summer League, and you did too. I watched his teammates missing open jump shot after open jump shot or not being able to hold on to a pass that was too quick or they weren't ready for or whatever. So as long as they surround him with better teammates, which I anticipate they will do, I can see him as a triple-double guy. He also obviously needs to work on his jump shot a little bit. I don't think it's as broke as everyone was saying coming into the draft, but it definitely needs work. But, again, if he's even slightly below a triple-double every night, is everyone going to be disappointed? I don't know. I, I mean, I still think he'll be the best star attraction this team has had since Iverson, and I still will be excited every night to watch him. Triple-double is absolutely possible, but, I mean, I just hope, like you said a little bit earlier, I hope people – down the road, give this kid a chance to grow because they're going to, if he grows and they grow with other people around him, like an Embiid, if he can stay healthy, or they find a shooting guard to go next to him, this kid can be really, really good. And a triple-double is certainly not out of the realm of expectation, uh, reality. Yeah, I mean, I, just the way I was looking at it, he's going to score double figures regardless, even if his shot doesn't improve. Just his natural athleticism, ability to get to the rim, get to the line. Uh, he's going to get easily 10 points a game and it's just you know like uh, it's what I was kind of most impressed with about he has you know rebounding obviously he was I think number three in the country last year in college basketball and he was you know noted for his rebounding throughout his time in high school but you know granted it was only summer league he wasn't going against Dwight Howard and you know the, the, the centers of the NBA but he just gravitates. He has a very like natural gravitation toward the ball on rebounds he just like knows where to be and get them and, uh, you know, there's obviously nothing more that I need to say about his passing ability. Um, you know, I think everyone saw that on full display <clears throat> over the summer league. So I, I just feel like his natural skill set combined with, like, obviously, like you said, they have to have talent around him. There was, you know, countless occasions in summer league where he would make a nice pass or a nice play, and it went to a player that, you know, wasn't equipped to finish it and either, you know, missed his shot that he could have, you know, a, a better player would have made or, just wasn't able to convert. So I think, you know, once we start to see some NBA caliber player guys around him, guys that can finish at the rim and, you know, like cut and finish with dunks or layups at the rim and guys that can space the floor, put some guys, you know, like that around him and let him, you know, let him run the offense. And I think sky is uh, really the limit for him. So, you know, I think, you know, as just a fan and a guy that, you know, has covered the team for years, just like yourself, I think it's definitely a, an exciting time to have someone of that, you know, skill set and that potential to, uh, you know, to watch on a nightly basis. And, um, you know, speaking of that talent, we'll, uh, you know, transition to another one of the Sixers, young, um, young players that has, uh, you know, tons of talent and uh, Joel Embiid. Uh, I don't know if you saw it yet, but yesterday uh, sometime in the afternoon, Joel posted a video on his social media accounts, Twitter. And I think Instagram also, uh, it was kind of like a compilation of him recently doing work with his uh, his trainer, just doing an array of, uh, you know, like post-up moves, uh, turnaround jumpers, pump fakes, drives, finishes, dunks, uh, you know, all obviously at, at pretty much full speed, no boot, uh, you know, coming down on the foot, planting off it basically looking great. I mean, he, you know, he's been in shape obviously over the past few months that's been documented. He looks phenomenal. He, looks to be every bit of seven, two shredded up, ready to go. Um, me personally, though, at this point, I said to myself months ago, I've, as fun as it is to watch these videos of him 
he's going up against a guy that basically looks like you. <laughs> no offense, not that you're not a crafty athlete or anything like that, but he's not <laughs> in these videos. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, you know, he's going up against a, you know, a guy that looks like he, it could be you or me or anything like that. And of course it, it's not in a game. So basically I, I've told myself that, I, you know, Sixers fans have basically been living uh, through Embiid workout videos for the past couple of years. Uh, with this new one from him and all the stuff that's, you know, the reports that he's on track and, you know, just everything, the general feel around him at this point as compared to, you know, this time last year when it was recently announced that he was going to have to miss the season again. Um, what do you, you know, obviously we, we don't know anything for sure. You know, the team keeping everything, you know, pretty well under wraps regarding him. Uh, you know, in his exact status, he obviously didn't play in summer league. But, you know, all signs, everything that I've heard, you know, all signs point to him barring, you know, any any new setback or a new injury that's, you know, between now and between the regular season. He's, uh, you know, he's fully good to go, uh, healthy. He'll be out there. Uh, you know, what do you – basically, just what are your thoughts about him at this point? What are your expectations? Do you – you know, what do you expect to see from him this season? And are you – are you letting your excitement kind of, you know, forward? Or are you keeping it in check a little bit until you can actually see him out there, you know, consistently over a few months period? I mean, I think I absolutely am, am have our guarded excitement is how I would describe it in that. Yeah. I'm watching these video clips and yeah, he looks awesome. Um, but I'm curious to see what the Sixers approach is going to be. So I'm excited that he looks healthy and then he's moving on that foot nicely. But what are the Sixers going to do with him? Are they going to roll him out for 20 minutes a game, 10 minutes a game? What is it going to be to start the season? And where is the point where they turn him loose? After how many games they say, okay, we now feel confident in this foot and he can play 30 minutes a night and start. And if there's an overtime game and he's already logged 33 minutes, are they going to let him play the overtime session? So I think my, my thoughts are I'm guardedly excited about what I'm seeing in these videos. Um, I don't care that he's wa- working out against small white guys because it seems like every NBA player has a trainer who's small and white. So that doesn't really bother <laughs> me at all. But again, like, so if he, let's say he's fully medically cleared. What are your, I mean, I put it back to you. What are your thoughts? If you're the Sixers, how many minutes a game are you going to let him play on opening night if he's cleared, or ten games into the season, or twenty games into the season? I, I, that's why that's why I'm cautious. I don't know what the Sixers are going to do in terms of what they're going to, how many minutes they're going to allow him to play each night. Yeah, I mean that's obviously the the big question. I think you know they they will and should definitely approach it approach it with some caution. I don't think any of us expect them to you know let him go on check thirty four minutes a game for uh, 80, 80 games this season. I don't think, you know, I just don't think that's a realistic expectation at all. I don't think it's necessary, especially this season. Um, you know, expectations are obviously a little bit raised from the past couple of seasons. More excitement is obviously raised too, but it's not like they're not going to be competing for, for a title this year. So, you know, I think basically the smart thing would be to, you know, ease him into it this year. I mean, with that being said, I would I would like to see him get action. I'm hoping – I think a realistic estimate for minutes would be somewhere in the mid-20s. I feel like that's, a you know, a, a pretty standard number for a, a player, that's you know, coming back off of an injury. It's, it's enough time, basically maybe like half the like – two quarters worth of the game, half the game. It's enough time to, you know, get them ample opportunity and reps and exposure, but not to, you know, stress the body too much or anything like that. 
Um, I assume he'll rest on, you know, some nights in general and some back-to-backs. The Sixers have obviously, you know, leaned on the side of caution, uh, you know, over the past several years in regards to injuries with their big guys. And I don't think, you know, that's not just going to shift with Hinky out the door. Uh, I think Embiid's too important, obviously, to like the long-term, uh, you know, the long-term organizational plan to try to, you know, force him out there too much. But it, it will be... You know, we're both obviously just estimating the team has not not said anything about about how they plan to use them. So it, it'll definitely be interesting just to kind of see, like you said, as the season wears on. I think that'll be most telling. Like the first couple weeks, obviously he's going to be out there. Uh, it'll be covered nationally. Uh, you know, it, it'll be talked about. But I think it more important will be once the season starts to kind of slog on and it's you know, mid-December, mid-January, middle of the season, and, uh, you know, the team will probably not be in contention at that point. It'll be interesting at that point to see, um, to see you know, how they use him minute-wise. I think that'll definitely be, you know, a storyline to pay attention to. Um, uh, speaking of another storyline to pay attention to, um, obviously heading into the season, something that's been talked about since – you know, draft night and, and well before, of course, has been, uh, you know, a potential trade of, you know, one of the other big guys to kind of balance out the roster here, uh, whether that be Nerlens or Ja, depending on which report and which week you feel like looking at, at Twitter, there seems to be, you know, new rumors regarding each of those guys every, uh, you know, every couple of days. But, uh, you know, obviously a move hasn't been made yet. It's August 3rd. The, uh, you know, the free agency market is basically washed out, uh, you know, basically it's a dead time in NBA right now. A lot of the front office people are on vacation. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't seem like a move is going to be made in, in the near future, at least. So, uh, you know, assuming that let's say the team goes into the season with both Okafor and Nerlens on the roster and obviously Embiid, Saric, uh, Simmons, and you know, that's assuming the roster stays basically as it is right now. How do you see this? How do you see it shaking out, man? Like, I, I know you don't have a crystal ball, obviously, neither do I. No one does, and I, I, it's a rehashed conversation, but I think it's just, it's so central to, you know, really the team right now and how it's going to shape out in the future. Like, what do you – what do you think are, might happen going forward with these three guys on the roster in the in the short term future? I mean, it's a nice problem to have if you're Brett Brown trying to figure out how to use three athletic seven footers who all have different skill sets. Um, how do I think it's going to shake out? I think you're going to see if Okafor is still with the Sixers. I think you'll see him as the linchpin of the second unit. Uh, I just don't think the Sixers can. T- continue to be this bad defensively and make any steps forward. And Okafor is just one of the poorest defenders I've ever seen in my life. And people will say, well, it was just his rookie year. But if you look at him at Duke, he was just a terrible defender at Duke that they were constantly trying to cover for. And I love Okafor in general. But the Sixers have got to get better defensively. And I think if you're going to – if Embiid is green-lighted, and I'm assuming he's going to be for opening night – and you're going to pair him with Noel, then Okafor is going to be the leader of your second unit, and he's going to you know, command the ball every time down the court for your second unit, and you'll work through Okafor. And I'm fine with that. Um, you know, I don't know if that's the way Brett Brown will choose to go, but that's certainly one option that I like a lot. You can have all three guys on the court. Now, again, that, op- that plan is contingent upon Embiid being healthy and ready for opening night. But I think we learned last year that Noel and Okafor cannot play together. They showed – a couple flashes of being able to figure it out. But for the most part, the Sixers were a train wreck when they were on the court together. So that's the way I would like to see it go. But 
obviously Brett Brown has a lot of things to, to map out here and a lot of things to try and figure out because, again, you have three different players, all very skilled, but all very different on both ends of the floor. And it's a lot to work through for a coach. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with with that assessment of it. Um, with Okafor, I mean, he's been so polarizing, with, you know, for a, a guy that's was pretty highly touted in, in high school and in college, um, and then to be the third pick in the draft and obviously had an up-and-down rookie season. But, uh, you know, it, he's definitely been something that's kind of been divisive for Sixers fans, which uh, it's been – Basically, to you know, there's there's a, a, a camp of people that just wants him gone at any cost. Like, have basically written him off as a sixer after his one season. I'm personally not in that camp. I'm not in the camp of you know he's the future of the team either. But it not that it angers me, but some some of the the things you see that people are just like so willing to get rid of him quickly uh, for basically pennies on the dollar for what I think could still be a, a very productive player down the road, a, you know, not a player that is going to be the center centerpiece of a team, but that could be, you know, a, a productive guy to have on a team, uh, you know, just his ability alone on the offensive end, uh, as like a, an option off the bench or something like that. I, I just feel like he still has production. Um, I'd be curious to hear, obviously you're, uh, an opinion that I respect, uh, you know, a lot regarding the Sixers. Are you are you one of those people that basically thinks it's trade like we have to trade Jalil Okafor? It's a foregone conclusion after his rookie season that he cannot, you know, coexist with Simmons, who he's never played with yet. Uh, or do you think that there's still potential for him to, you know, like you said, he obviously has his flaws, but do you think there's still potential for him to work on those areas and become a good and maybe even great player in the league? I mean, I am not one of those people that says Okafor has to go. I don't feel that way at all. Unfortunately for people like me, I think the word around the NBA is what I'm, what I'm hearing is that the Sixers feel like he has to go. They may say differently to the public or to the media, but that's the word I'm hearing from my, from my contacts in the NBA is the Sixers feel he needs to go in order for this team to grow. I'm not sure that I agree with that. In fact, I do not agree with it. I think it's, you've got a lot of repetitive parts here, but it can be figured out. I mean, I, I want to, you know, I, I like for coming off the bench as the leader and giving you a huge scoring punch for your second unit. Will it, is he willing to accept that role? I don't know. That's up to him. Um, but I don't see it as one of these make or break things that Okafor has to go. I, I understand the reasons for trading him. I understand the re- reasons for trading Nerlens Noel. Both of them have huge deficits in their game, obviously at opposite ends of the court. But what I find, you know, intriguing to me about this whole conversation is that the Sixers desperately have need a shooting guard. They've needed one for years. But all that everyone is focused on is Jaleel Okafor and the holes in his game. Not the holes in our lineup, but the holes in Jaleel Okafor's game, who last year had a pretty solid rookie year, considering he was playing with, you know, four orange traffic cones and a, a coach who was patchworking a, a lineup together every night. Um, so, again, I don't, I'm not one of these guys that says Okafor has to go. We trade him for, you know, a bucket of basketballs. I don't care. I think it can be figured out. And, but, unfortunately, I feel like I'm in the minority, and really all that matters is what Colangelo thinks. And according to everyone I talk to, the, the Sixers think that Okafor has to go. Yeah, I mean, there. It definitely seems like you know they're based off the rumors and reports that have come out. They, uh, you know, they've been shopping them. Obviously, both him and Nerlens, which uh, 
you know, I don't think is necessarily even great for either their confidence, uh, depending on like who ends up staying on the team. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a whole nother issue. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just interesting that, like you said, he, he was playing with four, basically four traffic cones last season. And for me personally, who uh, the guy who watched literally, I think, 79 of the 82 games for the Sixers last season, uh, I, can't, I cannot really draw, you know, any real conclusions about him as a player going forward based off what I saw last season. It's just not – like, yeah, you could see – I could see the deficiencies on the defensive end. I could – you know, the, his his skill sets was there. Like, you could see the positives and the negatives, but I just wasn't willing to draw conclusions about him, you know, long-term going forward based off what he did on a team that was literally the second-worst team record-wise in NBA history with, you know, talent that he's that's just not of the caliber that he's going to be surrounded with. So, um, I agree. Yeah, like, you know, I'm, to me, was, I'm interested that's to see, just tough. I'm sorry. I'm interested to see what Oklahoma no, yeah, can do this year. When they pitch the ball into him this year, and he actually has shooters that are – you know, outside of a streaky Robert Covington last year, he had nobody to kick the ball out to. I think Gerald Henderson is going to really help him spread the floor. I think if Covington can be more consistent, I think he will help him spread the floor as well. So I'll be interested to see what happens this year, if, assuming he's in on the Sixers roster when we go to the regular season. What happens when they pitch it into Oak Four and the double team comes and he kicks it out to Henderson and he knocks down a couple threes? How does that open the spacing up for Oak Four to work so that he isn't being double teamed every time he receives the ball. I mean, by the 15th game of the year last year, he was receiving double teams nearly every time he touched the ball. And that was a scouting report for the Sixers we looked for in the lineup was if they pitch it into him, we're going to put, we're going to double team the rock and force another Sixer to beat us. So when those perimeter players around him are better this year, I'm interested to see what the opposing team's defenses are going to do to counteract Gerald Henderson dropping a three or Bayless dropping a three or, Covington can again be more consistent on a nightly basis. Him nailing some threes. How yeah. does that impact how what kind of success Okafor is going to have? Because I think if they can do that, if they can open up the floor for him, then he's really going to have a hell of a year coming up. I agree with you, man. And we literally have about six seconds left, so I just wanted to thank you very much for joining the show, and I'll talk to you again soon through the season, Carrie. Thanks again. Thanks a lot, Mike. Have a good one, man. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.